Thanks again for being here. Um, Easter Sunday morning, it's like the Super Bowl for church, you know? And it's a time to be together, to celebrate. And uh, we just want to acknowledge together, whether you're here again for the first time or you've been here lots of times, that today we desperately need the power of God to be here today, to minister. Amen? Do you believe that? And we believe at the Gateway Church that the same power that raised Jesus from the grave is at work here this morning in us and through us. And we believe at the Gateway Church and individually we can embrace that power and we can move forward in confidence. And so we want to be able to do that. This Easter season we've been asking uh, that we would experience the passion. That's kind of what we've called this season for us. Experience the passion and then today to experience the power of the resurrection. So on Good Friday, we invited many of you out uh, for the passion of the Christ, the epic portrayal of the passion. And you say, well, what is the passion? Uh, Well, the passion is basically the last week of Jesus' life. His triumphal entry, the Last Supper, The prayer in the garden, the six seriously illegal trials, one before Aeneas, the ex-high priest of the Jews, then Caiaphas, then the Sanhedrin, then before Pilate, then Herod, who was the governor, then back to Pilate, and then, of course, the death on the Christ. That's what the passion is. And I'm wondering how many of you have seen the film, either this weekend or in the past, of The Passion of the Christ by Mel Gibson. Okay, so it looks like most of us have. Um, If you haven't seen the film, have you ever read the story in God's Word uh, of The Passion of the Christ? Okay, and so a few more hands. And let me just ask, is there anybody here that has no idea what I'm talking about this morning? Okay, one. (laughs) Well, you're about to learn. Well, we know that the passion, what we describe as that last week, was the most powerful chain of events in history. And The Passion of the Christ by Mel Gibson was a powerful movie, a motion picture created to kind of... of, Uh, help us experience the passion. And I want you to to take you back to the time that you saw, whether saw the Passion of the Christ by Mel Gibson, whether it was this weekend or uh, in the past. And I want you to remember when you settled back in your seats and you're watching that final scene, can you remember how you felt? For some of us, it was this weekend we we were able to experience it again. Uh, What was your reaction to the film or to the story, The Passion of the Christ? The reactions, I'm sure, will vary, but I want to take us through a little exercise just to kind of bring us back to some of those moments, those memories. I'm going to put up on the screen five emotions or depictions or reactions at a time, and I want you to circle one, write one down uh, out of each of these uh, three sets of words. The first set of words I want you to look at is graphic, brutal, disturbing, unsettling, compelling. So in your mind, I want you to uh, put it down or write it one down, one of those five, or uh, circle one of those, uh, those five. Again, graphic, brutal, disturbing, unsettling, compelling. Which one was the most um, reaction that you experienced? How about the second list? Depressing, vivid, intense, sobering, or stunning. Again, I want you to circle one of those, write one of those five down in your mind. Put that in your mind. Depressing, vivid, sobering, stunning, intense, 
And then the third list, haunting, confusing, overwhelming, appealing, moving. And again, pick one of those, circle it, write it down, get it in your mind. Haunting, confusing, overwhelming, appealing, or moving. Now, if we took a survey, there would be different reactions on each of our hearts. Different things that stood out, memories of when we, when we watched those final scenes. And the story of the passion, certainly the film's portrayal, it raises a number of questions in our mind. Why did Jesus have to die? Did it really happen the way that it was portrayed in this film? Why did Jesus receive the kiss from Judas without fighting back? Why did he accept the nails in his hands and in his feet? Why would anyone submit themselves to such a beating? Why was there so much blood? Why give him give his bare back to the 39 lashings? What about the rest of the story? What does it all mean? And you look at the story and you think of the public humiliation. You think of the crown of thorns. You think about crucifixion, which was the most painful and torturous death imaginable. And today, we want to bring some hope, some answers to a few of the questions of why. And then not only to answer the question why, but then what's next? What now? And our goal, my goal, as I speak, is that God would speak through me and bring hope for each and every person and to bring the reality that there's victory in the death and in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And what I want to do this morning is I want to take us back to the movie. Uh, We have a compilation uh, of a few of the the clips uh, Bonnie put together. And if you visited this weekend... Good Friday, which many, many of you did, uh, great. But if you didn't, this will bring you back to some of those moments to evoke some memories. And so enjoy this. You guys ready? All right, let's do it.
I know those are disturbing scenes to embrace, to experience, and on a Sunday morning. But I think it's important for us to remember the sacrifice. I don't know about you, but when you watch that film, I remember the first time I was in a theater, and I remember thinking, I wanted to see more of the story, more of the resurrection, what was to come. There was such a a short little uh, clip at the end. It's the exact same uh, comment that my daughter made when we finished watching it on Friday night, and we were walking out, and she said the same thing, saying, man, what about the resurrection? And, And I want to bring you to that place this morning to remind us that it doesn't end with the suffering. And I want you to turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 28. Matthew chapter 28, in these first few verses, we read the account of the resurrection. And uh, this is going to be the first of many verses that we read today. I want to, uh, you to be ready to flip and uh, to go with me. Uh, but listen what it says. It says, after the Sabbath, the day on the first day of the, of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to look at the tomb. There was a violent earthquake, for an angel of the Lord came down from heaven and going to the tomb, rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning and his clothes was like, were white as snow. The guards were so afraid of him that they shook and they became like dead men. The angel said to the woman, do not be afraid, for I know that you are looking for Jesus who was crucified. He is not here. He has risen just as he said. Come and see the place where he was laid. The story did not end there. The story, this series of events happened. It was true. The Roman seal was broken. A large stone was moved. The Roman guards were, they failed in their duties. By the way, who guards a tomb of a dead man? The grave clothes were folded. There were eyewitnesses. And ultimately, the disciples were transformed in their lives. They were changed and went on to give life to others. All the result of the resurrection. It was the resurrection, a radical proclamation that Jesus, who was crucified, now lives. And church, I want you to know that the resurrection is the cornerstone of the message of Christianity. I want you to know that our credibility as a church and as Christ followers, it rises and falls on the resurrection. Paul understood this when he talked to the first to the Corinthian church. We've been studying Corinthians, and I want you to turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. We see that in this passage, in 1 Corinthians, that Paul is saying to the believers in Corinth, he's saying, look, if this is not the truth, we're wasting our time. Look at what it says. It says, and if Christ has not been raised from the dead, our preaching is useless, and so is our faith. In other words, if Christ did not raise from the dead like we have seen and what we understand according to God's scripture, we might as well not be here this morning. We might as well go home. On the other uh, page in the same chapter, chapter 15, verse 55 through 57, listen to what it says. You say, where, O death, is your victory? This is Paul crying out, where, O death, is your sting? 
He says the sting of death is sin and the power of sin is the law. But then he says, thanks be to God. He gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus. There is victory in the resurrection and we can embrace that and we can know that it really happened. You say, well, did it really happen? Well, absolutely. In Acts chapter 1, verse 3, please turn with me there. This is at the very beginning, after Jesus uh, has ascended into heaven. Listen to what happens, or before he ascended to heaven, before he ascends to heaven, it says after his suffering, so after the crucifixion, after he was beat and broken, after he was on the cross, put in the tomb, after he was risen from the grave, so after his suffering, He showed himself, Jesus showed himself to these men and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. You say, did it really happen? Absolutely, it did. It wasn't a once and done, hey, here I am, surprise, you'll never see me again. It wasn't a psychological vision. It wasn't a dream. No, on many, many occasions, Jesus gave convincing proof that he was alive. In fact, so convincing, that's why about half of the city of Jerusalem became believers within the first 20 years after Jesus died and rose from the grave. Archaeologists and historians said that within 20 years, Jerusalem was about a quarter of a million people strong. Between 100 and 150,000 people gave their hearts to the Lord and began to serve and follow Jesus. You say, why did that happen? It was because they had seen him. They're saying, hey, that's the guy that was on the cross. That's the guy that the Romans killed. He is back, and I want to serve him. And if that's happened, and that's an incredible story. Turn with me to Romans chapter 1. Romans chapter 1, we see Paul writing to the Romans He's reminding them that, look, because Jesus was raised from the dead, it proved that he was the mighty Son of God. Look what it says. Paul writing to the Romans, he says, Paul, a servant of Christ, called to be an apostle and set apart for the gospel of God. The gospel uh, he promised before him through his prophets in the Holy Scripture. This was all foretold, we're going to see. Regarding his son, as to his nature, his human nature, was a descendant of, of David. And who, through the spirit of holiness, was declared with the power to be the Son of God. How is that possible? By the resurrection from the dead. Jesus Christ is our Lord. In other words, by the fact that he was raised from the grave, it proved that he was a Son of God. And it caused the disciples to be changed radically. All of them gave their lives for the sake of the gospel, uh, by being martyred except one. And the resurrection, church, is what we still hang our hats on as believers. It's not a pipe dream. It's not some fairy tale. It is the resurrection that we believe in, and it also gives us incredible benefits. You realize that the power that raised Jesus from the dead is the same power that is available for you to deal with your problems when you invite Jesus Christ into your life. That's the power of the gospel. And the beautiful thing about this whole situation is that it was God's plan. God planned this 
from the beginning. When you're reading the biblical account of the passion, you, say, you may say, well, who's in charge here? Was it the Sanhedrin or was it Herod or the Roman guards or was it Pilate who ultimately allowed them to crucify? Each of these unknowingly were following a borrowed script. They were following roles discussed and prophesied in the Old Testament scriptures. There are hundreds of examples from the testimony from the Old Testament prophecy that Jesus fulfilled. I want to take you to just a couple. And this one in particular is very unique. Psalm 22. Turn with me to Psalm 22. What we're going to see here is that David, over 900 years before Jesus walked walked the earth, He wrote right down to the final details what was going to happen in a prophecy. Listen what it says in verse 16. It says, Dogs have surrounded me. A band of evil men has encircled me. They have pierced my hands, my feet, and I I can count all my bones. People stare and gloat over me. They divided my garments among them, and they cast lots for my clothing. What this is saying is, uh, King David is saying, look, their hands and feet would be pierced, that no bones would be broken, garments would be divided, uh, the cast lots would be for the clothes. And Jesus did fulfill every prophecy. Peter understood this. Uh, He had heard Jesus talk about his uh, death in the upcoming events, but it wasn't until after the resurrection that the light bulb went on. Turn with me to Acts chapter 3. Acts chapter 3, verse 18. What we're going to see here, Peter is addressing the crowd, and he's reminding them of what Jesus had said and what the Old Testament Scriptures had said. Look what it says in verse 18. But this, all that had happened, is how God fulfilled what He had foretold through all the prophets, saying that His Christ would suffer. And he's remembering all the way back to Isaiah chapter 53. We've read a few verses from there already. 700 years earlier, Isaiah prophesied. Look at verse 10. Verse 10 says, Yet it was the Lord's will to crush him and cause him to suffer. And though the Lord uh, makes his life a guilt offering, he will see his offspring and prolong his days and the and the will of the Lord will prosper in His hands. See, church, what's important for you to know, for me to understand, is that Jesus was not murdered. He willingly gave up His life. He accomplished His God-given mission. Say, what was His mission? Well, it was completed on the cross to come to live a sinless life and then to be to die and then to be risen again. In John chapter 19, verse 30, it says, Jesus on the cross, it is finished. And what was finished was the work that he came to do. You say, why did he come? Why the passion? Why all the blood? Why was to fulfill the mission that his heavenly father gave him to fulfill? And the fulfilled uh, mission was to come to provide a way for us because we have a problem each and every one of us have a serious issue a roadblock on our way to God God is desiring relationship with all of us with each and every one that lives 
but there's a problem wired into our genes. We are not good enough for God. The simple truth is that we do not qualify. Turn to your neighbors and say, you look pretty good today, but you still don't qualify. (laughs) And that's what God's Word says. (laughs) Romans 3.23, you know it. All have sinned and are not good enough for God's glory, basically. If we took a survey today and said, how many are sinners here? 100% of the hands would go up, and we understand that. But the problem is, is that we grade ourselves many times. Believers, non-believers, we grade ourselves on a curve. We grade ourselves on a scale. We balance our sin with our good deeds and we say, we're good enough. Well, the fact is, is there's nothing that can make us good enough. And there are some that think, some that live, that hell is for a few who are really, really bad, repeat offenders, The murderers, the adulterers, the embezzlers, right? The Hitlers, Stalin, the Osama bin Ladens, and not us, right? And we grade ourselves on a scale. And the problem is, is that God, He never set the system up that way. That's falsehood. If you're holding on to the idea that you're good enough or that you're better than someone else, so you're going to make it. No, Romans 6.23 says, for the wages of sin is death. That's God's plan. If we sin, or should I say, when we sin, we must pay. God's penalty is death. That means whether you're the biggest sinner here or you feel like you've got a little small white lie that you're hanging on to, the reality is that one white lie can keep you from heaven. And that's not what I think. That's what God's Word says. One infraction, one time taking a grape from the grocery store, stealing that grape, (laughs) is going to keep you from, from heaven. But God's plan also provided a substitute. Turn with me to Isaiah 53. We've already read from here a couple times today in worship. You saw it on the screen. Um, By the way, uh, Bonnie did a great job putting that video together. I really appreciate that. But look what it says in verse 4 and 5. It says, surely he took our infirmities and carried our sorrows. This is Jesus. Yet we considered him stricken by God, smitten by him, and afflicted. Verse 5, but he was pierced for our transgressions. That's for what we have done wrong, for the sin in our lives. He was pierced for that. He was crushed for our iniquities, for our wrongdoing. The punishment that brought us peace was upon Him, and by His wounds we are healed. What we see there is that God, He provided a substitute. We were not the ones that had to pay. That is why He died. The cross was not to pay off Satan. It was for Jesus to be our substitute. You say, man, all that blood, all that gore. I remember on Friday night, uh, I had seen uh, the Passion on Thursday in preparation, uh, most of it. I saw bits of it on Friday at noon, and then I watched the whole thing with my daughter. And I remember sitting in my seat saying, okay, that's enough. That's enough. It's enough. Stop. And I had to look away at times. All that blood, all of that was for me. And I want to show you that that blood was for you 
as well. There's two things I want you to see. Ephesians chapter 1. Turn with me here. In verse 7, and then we're going to look at Ephesians 2, verse 13. There's two things that stand out. That the blood of Jesus was for us. Listen, in verse 7 it says, In Him, in Jesus, we have redemption through His blood and forgiveness of sin in accordance with the riches of God's grace. There is forgiveness for you and for me because the blood that was shed for us. But not only is there forgiveness, look at the relationship that God is desiring and that was made available by the blood. Chapter 2, verse 13, it says, But now, Jesus Christ, you who, were, or who once were far away, He was far away from us, have been brought near through the blood of Christ. The blood of Jesus provides the opportunity for us to be in relationship with Him. Church, the cross is the crux of Christianity. It sets Christianity apart from all other religions. Other faiths demand that we would pay a penalty for our own sin. But with the cross, Jesus paid the penalty for us. Amen? with other religions that requires that we would ascend to God to be saved. But with the cross, Jesus, God's Son, descended to earth to save us. With other teachings, you have to accept, to be accepted and to earn our way to God. But with the cross, Jesus is the one who paid it all. He cleared the path to God on our behalf. Of course, you know John 14, 16, that Jesus said, Look, I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And that was made possible through the cross. Turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 1. We've been studying in Corinthians, if you've been with us on Sunday mornings. And 1 Corinthians talks a ton about the cross, especially early on. But I want you to see here in verse 18 that the power of the cross is available for us. Listen to this. It says, The message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. That means those outside of the church, those that, are, that, um, that don't know Jesus yet, they think of the cross and think of someone dying for, to be a substitute, and they think that's crazy, that's foolishness. But... To those of us being saved, that means that the blinders are coming off or the blinders are off and we understand more fully. But to those being saved, it is the power of God. The power of God. The resurrection was the greatest demonstration of power in all of history. The same Spirit that raised Christ from the dead, that same power is available for you and for me as well. It dwells within us. And the disciples, they grabbed the hold of it. They understood it. They saw new joy and new hope and new life and new purpose. And it was all in the cross and in the resurrection of Jesus. And the truth is, is that we can experience that same thing. There's not one of us that have to walk out of here without experiencing that same power experiencing the blood that was covering each and every one of us. You say, well, that blood, there was power there, right? 
Well, that blood was for you. That blood was to heal the sick. That blood provides healing for broken hearts. It provides his sacrifice. It provides access to the throne of God. If you're lost and alone or you've been hurt or abused, that blood is for you, the blood of Jesus. Turn with me to Romans chapter 5. Very interesting verse here. Romans chapter 5 talks about the power of the blood. Verses 8 and 9, it says, But God demonstrated His own love for us, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us, which we've been talking about. But verse 9, Since we have been justified, how? By His blood, how much more shall we be saved from God's wrath through Him? See, in that blood, there's power to heal broken lives. Power to forgive sin. Power to save the lost. Power to bring hope in the midst of despair. Power to bring light into darkness and to bring life in the midst of death. The power of the blood. And I want you to know, church, that that power that we're talking about that's found in the blood of Jesus is at work here at the Gateway Church. And I want to share with you a few things Many of you know that I've been traveling over the last month. I went to Africa for a couple weeks, came back for a short time, and then my family went on spring break and, uh, to Gatlinburg, Tennessee. Well, this week was my first week really back, and I had the chance to go through our prayer requests, which I often do, and that we uh, collect on the first of the month. But really, any time, these can be filled out, and uh, they're on the back tables or in the lobby at all times. You can get those to us. And we have people praying for these all the time. But I was going through these, and I started to notice that there were answered prayers right here at the Gateway Church. And I'm excited to share some of these with you. One couple had been praying for their relationship uh, and praying for wisdom of how to move forward as a couple. And it says, praise God, our relationship is better. Amen. It turned in in a praise report. Here's an answered prayer. There was a a lady in our church that had a sister that had cervical cancer. And it says, and it's circled, answered prayer, thank you, Jesus. The cancer is gone. Amen. Our very own Rich Lovell, he was here first service and allowed me to share this. He said he wrote out a prayer, uh, asking for prayer for a couple things. But the previous couple months, he was concerned about his throat because they had found, uh, found a lump on his throat. And he says this on his card. He says, praise God. Thank you for all your prayers for my throat. God ensures that there is no, that that there were no cancerous cells in his throat. Amen. Isn't that incredible? Someone was asking prayer for a job, and it circled that the prayer has been answered, that they received a job. Praise God. Amen. Amen. A family in the church put in a prayer request for their dad. And their dad was away from the Lord, and the prayer request said to pray for their dad to be saved. And Bill, I don't know if you know this, but you, you're an answer to that prayer. Bill got baptized this morning and he shared part of his story. This is an answer to prayer. God saved you. And God is working in your family. Isn't that amazing? 
And I was just so thankful. I knew that there, there was a possibility of being baptized. I'm saying, praise the Lord. Two more. Another lady in the church wrote out this praise report and said, praise God for my improved health. And we've been praying and walking with her. And we're so thankful for continued health in that. And then I've got to share one more. I was praying over this one early on in the week. And the prayer request said, pray for the selling of our house on the other side of the state. Rob and Pat. And I'm like, oh, I know Rob and Pat. I met them at the uh, hockey game, right? (laughs) I met, met Rob. And so I was praying and Later on in the week, I get an email from them, and they're back in the back here. Just give us a little wave. Yep, this is Rob and Pat. They had a house in Flint. They're retired. They're moved here to the lakeshore. A month ago, they put their house for sale. And in one month, they sold their house this week, full price asking. And praise God, that's an answer to prayer. That's the power of God at work right here in our midst first service. Kalen, uh, who was here, he's from Chicago visiting his family. He came in and his back was so ratched up, he said, that he could hardly move. And at the altar service, first service, he, he was after prayer. He walked out and he goes like this. He goes like this. He goes like this. And he's, the pain's gone. He comes and he says, you got to know that while we we're praying and as we we're singing that final song, God touched my body. The power of the resurrection at work right here at the Gateway Church. Amen. And we've been saying this season that we want to experience the passion. We want to experience the passion of Christ for you. God wants to work in your life. We want the light bulb to go on. To say, okay, God, I I surrender. Well, there was a young man, his name is Isaac Watts. 300 years ago, he wrote the song that we sang earlier today, The Wondrous Cross. When I survey the wondrous cross, he wrote that in to respond to what God was doing in his life as he understood the cross of Christ, the death and resurrection of Christ. It's a beautiful song. We're going to sing it again here in just a minute. But for him, it was a humbling experience. And for us, many times, it's a humbling experience. When you survey the wondrous cross this morning, and you are reminded of what Luke twenty two forty four says that Jesus, he was sweating drops of blood for you. And when you can truly see what Jesus did and understand that it was predestined before the first thought of any of us, God's plan was for his son to come to die. And when you consider his matchless love, his immeasurable mercy, his marvelous grace, you say, what would motivate God to do all this? It's rooted in his love for you. In John chapter 3, verse 16 through 18, we see a glimpse of that love. You know this verse. It says, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. And oftentimes we stop there. But listen, it says, for God did not send his world, son into the world to condemn the world, but he came to save us, to save the world through him. 
Whoever believes in him is not condemned. Amen? But whoever does not believe stands condemned already because he has not believed in the name of God's one and only Son. See, the truth is that God's love is what motivated. And it's the power of the Christ, of Christ, at work in us that helps us to experience the passion. And when I talk about experiencing the passion, I want to boil it down to three things. The first is I want you to walk out of here with a greater love for God. You say, what do you mean? Look, if God did nothing else for you, nothing for the rest of your life, He still purchased your salvation. He deserves your love and your devotion. And the Bible says that we can love only because He first loved us. And He loved us so much that we can experience His love. And I want to encourage you to love God. The second thing I want you to hate sin. Hate sin. You say, why? Look, it was my sin, it was your sin that nailed Jesus to the cross. Brendan, you said it earlier in worship. It wasn't the nails. It wasn't the guards. It wasn't that tree that he was hooked onto that kept him there. It was our sin. And when you experience the weight of that, we should hate it. We should hate it. And I understand that sin is tricky. Sin is lots of layers. And and it's hard sometimes to live a godly life. But I want you to walk out of here not only loving God, but I want you to hate sin. And there's a third thing. As we experience the passion, I want you to tell others. See, this this message, the passion, it was given so that we can tell others. Can you remember before you received Christ as your Savior? Can you remember what it was like before? And aren't you glad that someone was praying for you and that someone gave an invitation to a church or shared the gospel story with you? Aren't you glad? So why are we so silent sometimes? We need to tell others if we experience the passion. See, the resurrection of Christ, it answers the why. It answers the why we would train leaders, why we'd have small groups, why we have prayer groups and Bible studies. Why? is so that we can reach one more person for Jesus. That's why. And the resurrection answers that. You say, well, why would we build a building? It's our time to build. It's because we believe that God wants to reach one more one at a time. And today, each and every one of us can experience the passion. One more verse. I want everyone to turn with me there to Romans chapter 10. You say, well, how can I know? How can I accept Jesus? It's simple. Billy Graham, his organization coined the ABCs of salvation, admit, believe, confess. Well, we see bits of that here in Romans 10, 9. It says, if we confess with our mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in our heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. If there was any doubt in your mind this morning about the reality of what you could experience, 
it says you will be saved. For it is with your heart that you believe and are justified, and it's with your mouth that you confess and are saved. And so the way I see it, there's two things as we wrap up our time. We're going to sing this song here in a minute, but before we do, I want you to know that in just a moment, we're going to give you an opportunity to surrender your heart to the Lord. And if you're away from God, or maybe you've never served God, maybe you've been out of church, haven't been in a church like Bill for 20 years, but came back, there's salvation here for you today. Today is the day of salvation. But there's a second piece for all of us, and I want you to pay close attention. See, there's the power, the hope of the cross is what brings sickness to a healed condition. Healing is available through the power of the cross. The power of the cross can mend a broken heart. It provides access to the throne. If you feel lost and alone or hurt or abused, the power of the cross is here to meet you, to comfort you, can bring hope in the midst of despair light into darkness and so for each and every one of us whether we've been serving God for a week or for as long as we can remember that power is here today and God wants to touch you Easter 2014 let's reflect on the word